0: Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Where do we begin? What a week, but what a night. And let's get right into the co-main event. So if I was to be very fair about how I would have ranked the lightweights coming into this weekend, I would have put Chandler at four. Now that's not an insult to Chandler because I believe, as you believe, that we've identified the top guys. So while we all agree that 155 pounds is the toughest division in all of mixed martial arts, the fact that we've identified the final four, even if I put Chandler at number four, there's no insult, right? I mean, those are freaking hammers. The story going into the Chandler fight from Team Chandler, and that just means the fans that thought Michael was going to win had argued that Michael can get on top of Dan Hooker and keep him there. I had a problem with that because I haven't seen Chandler do a ton of that. Not to mention, I haven't seen a lot of the day where you just take a guy down and keep him there since 2003. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of that. That used to be a real recipe. But you're seeing less and less of even by the top wrestlers, even by Cejudo, even by Cormier. You just don't see a lot of the the, the take him down and keep him there. So I resisted that narrative. That, well, if they end up on their feet, it's going to favor a Hooker. And even the Chandler supporters agreed to that. Well, yeah, Michael's not going to beat him on his feet, but he's not going to have to. Okay, but just hold the thought because one thing that comes when you have the ability to get a takedown, when you have the ability to threaten a takedown you will change the reactions of your opponent and when your opponent begins to react to the threat the threat of the takedown is very little energy the takedown itself is a lot of energy if you go for a takedown and you don't get it you've now expanded energy and you're stuck on your feet you're worse off than before you started it's one of those things risk reward meaning make sure you're pretty good damn good at wrestling if you're going to attempt to go wrestle because you're going to have to get a guy there and then hold hold in there <sighs> To get that deep breath, I only share that with you because Chandler, who's a multiple-time All-American and who came in with the story of his great wrestling, every time he changed elevation, Hooker had to show a respect to it. And Hooker was doing a very good job of circling. And the reason he's circling, so you guys understand that, is that's very difficult for a wrestler to deal with. In the sport of wrestling, you're not allowed to back up. They call it stalling. You'll be cautioned. So in the sport of mixed martial arts, if you're dealing with a wrestler and you can ever back up, you'll give him problems right away. Secondly, when you circle, you'll give him more problems but at some point hooker's got to plant his feet and say okay there's a fight breaking out i gotta plant my feet to get my licks in and then i can get back on my bicycle i only offer that to you because hooker was doing a relatively good job with this the trade-off is when chandler is marching him down and changing elevation getting that look getting that reaction that's what opens things up you guys might remember a boxer named joe frazier and even the hands that went up that say yeah i remember joe you didn't see joe fight not very many of you right Joe Fraser had a hook. It was called the Joe Frazier hook. It's still called that to this day, where you just bend down, but on your way up, you pop up and you throw a hook. You bend down, you pop up and throw a hook. The guy never knows if you're going high or you're going low. Very basic, very simple if you ever see Joe do it, but very effective. There's a reason that hook hasn't been landed since 1977, but it's still called the Joe Fraser hook today. And I felt as though that's what Chandler did. I mean Chandler marched him down Changed elevation Popped up and throw a hook And it was hard And I will look back At the great debuts I have ever seen in the UFC I have Justin Gaethje at number one It was Gaethje versus Michael Johnson But not only was the fight Fantastic and fun It was the way Gaethje was going about it It was the comfortableness that Gaethje had There was some antics There was flipping him off And things along these lines That added to the level of excitement But he was also doing this uh, Against Michael Johnson Johnson, who was the favorite going in and was nobody's fool and had been there before. It's just one of these things where Gaethje, all of a sudden, he gets sprung into the spotlight. He goes right from one fight in the UFC to coaching the ultimate fighter, which is the greatest vehicle for marketing that the sport ha- has and has ever had. So it's a big compliment. It was a compliment to how well he had done. Michael Chandler might be going from one time in the UFC to a world title fight, which would be a bigger compliment. So perhaps I need to reassess who had the better debut. Coming into tonight, it was Justin Gaethje. Come in, it might be Michael Chandler. I mean, this was something special. Particularly when you factor in, historically speaking, guys don't debut very well. I'll just use Eddie Alvarez because I know that's a name that you know. He stumbled in his debut and made it all the way to the world championship, which someday will take him into the hall of fame. But he stumbled in his debut. Very common thing. Ronda Rousey in her debut ran into problems. I mean, we can play this game all all, all that we want. Whether you win or lose, you don't Generally have this great performance So for Chandler to go out there and do that It is going to catapult him Not to mention all the eyeballs on it Not to mention We all did in fairness collectively agree That there was a little unnamed Grand Prix going on here We were in the semi-finals if you will Whoever's going to win in the co-main Is going to fight the winner of the main And they're going to fight for the belt Which brings Khabib into this Guys, I'm willing to play along As long as you all want to play along but Khabib broke up with us nine weeks ago and we can keep calling Khabib and asking him to come to the dance. But at some point, Khabib's parent is gonna get on the phone with your parent and say, you're harassing my son. I mean, at some point, When he breaks up with us and the dance is around the corner and you keep calling him, at some point we have to elect ourselves mayor of Get The Hintville. Population, you. Khabib has never hedged that he's not coming back, but we have chose to read into second and third hand remarks. I only bring that to you because we gotta get on with it. And if Khabib would like to come back at another time, which I do not believe that he does, but if he would like to come back at another time, then he can challenge for the championship that he never lost. But after what we saw tonight, it's time to get on with it. And I think in all fairness, we do need to make Michael Chandler a number one contender. I think he made himself the number one contender. But I think it's important that we now do our job because we do have a job. You have a voice that's heard. You have an opinion that is valued, whether you know that or not. And every now and then, you have to tip your hat to integrity of sport. And I think that's where it comes, uh, our job, to acknowledge what Chandler did and acknowledge that he's a cop contender, because now let's take a look at the main event. Conor McGregor, okay, had already beat Dustin Poirier, and there was a meaningful gap between Conor and Dustin. The argument that was coming out, and it was not a very loud voice, and as many of you that want to say, oh, I told you so, Uh, okay, fine, well, you didn't go bet it, so shut up. There's no I told you so. So unless you can show a ticket at a pay window, right? If you didn't part with your money, you didn't tell anybody anything, you just spoke. And there wasn't very many people speaking up for Poirier, but there was some, and those some were saying, look, six years ago was a different Dustin Poirier. They're right. The counter to that would be six years ago was a different Conor McGregor. The question tonight is, is it a better Conor McGregor? Because there was a gap So if you believe Dustin's gotten better and you believe connor has got down, do you believe it was enough to not only close the gap, but favor Poirier? I mean, that's really what you're talking about. You're talking about a personal best. You're talking about flipping a script. You can say six years is a long time, but it's the blink of an eye, depending on what you're doing in those six years. Now, I bring that to you because the other part of the talk going into the fight was that if Poirier is going to extend this, he's going to extend this and get some minutes out there and get the heart rate of Connor going and bring Connor's power down. He's going to need to wrestle him. But what in Dustin's past shows you that he has the skill and the ability to go wrestle him. And that's a very fair question. I didn't mind anybody that asked that, cause that is fair. And in the opening round, Poirier, while essentially just trying to change elevation to get out of the way of, of some striking attempts, ended up on the legs of Conor McGregor and took Conor down. If any of you saw that and you think Poirier just went and took Conor down, you simply, respectfully, you don't know what you're looking at. There was nobody more surprised that that takedown worked than Dustin Poirier. It should not have worked. In no version of Conor McGregor that we have ever seen before would have that worked. So now when Dustin's on top, not pushing his hips and not elevating his head, not ground and pounding, just hanging on, Connor still couldn't get up. He had to go to the fence. He had a wall walk. He starts looking around like he's lost. Like he's looking at himself on the big screen. Like he doesn't know what to do. It was one of these things where I don't think either one of them expected to be in this position. I'm not looking to put Connor down. I'm looking to share with you what happened because it was the story of the fight. When Connor got up from that exchange, he was now different. Not meaningfully, not the fight was over, but he was different, it changed him. That was a level of energy that he wasn't expecting. It also now, much like the previous fight with Hooker and Chandler, offered a threat. The threat of the takedown is just as effective as the takedown. If you can get that reaction because you have a legitimate belief from your opponent that you can succeed, you can get what you're looking for. And that's where the fight started to change. Not only did Connor get up a little bit more tired, but now he is the threat of the takedown. So every time Poirier changes elevation, boom, he's able to chop those legs. That calf kick was meaningful, but those thigh kicks were meaningful as well. He was able to chew up that leg. Connor McGregor has had leg kicks thrown at him by everybody he's ever fought. He checks them and throws a left down the middle and makes you wish you had never had that idea. He didn't check any of these. Every single one of them went. I submit for you that you had a rusty Conor McGregor. Okay, sure you did. Maybe that was less expected by you. I didn't expect him to be rusty. He sat out 500 days before he fought Cowboy Cerrone. Only sat out 367 days for this one. I mean, just historically speaking, he's a guy that proved that he could do it. But there is a tipping point. And I was also aware of that. And Connor came out after the fact. And Connor's a real gentleman. He does not like to lose, but he will follow procedure. He is not a guy who refused to shake hands, refused to give a post fight speech, or refused to go to the press conference. Those are procedural issues that you do, whether you win or whether you lose. I appreciate that Connor did that. There is a very thin line between a reason and an excuse. Connor stated as the reason that he lost was his inactivity. I accept that, and I don't believe it's an excuse. I believe that was a spot-on assessment. The Conor McGregor that we saw out there tonight is the worst form of Conor I've ever seen. He was out of shape. His timing was off. He was slow. He was unpowerful. He also looked scrawny. I, I will admit the last time he fought, it was up a weight class. But he looked scrawny and weak by Conor standards. I believed before this event started that we had the right four guys. I believe right now we have the right four guys. So the same as I'm not putting down Chandler because I had him at fourth, I am not putting down McGregor by telling you that that was the worst form of Connor. I am telling you that Connor is accurate in saying he was held out and he was inactive. And it's a very real thing. And there is a tipping point and there is an age and it changes for everybody. And there's not just the years on the calendar. There's also a year to your life, right? If you're a big booze hound, you're not gonna make it as far. If you're a drug addict, you're not going to make it as far. I offer that for you because it's not, oh, at 29, years old or 31 years old. It's a lot of it's how you live. And in all fairness, if you're a cage fighter, you're not going to make it as far, right? I mean, there's a, there, there's a way to live a little bit rougher. I think if we had a mistake in 2020, and we were to be real fair with ourselves, the mistake was having Conor McGregor say, I'd like to fight four times and only using him once. Not only was that a mistake for the industry, it was bad for Conor. And there's ways to try to fill that void, but there's not ways to completely duplicate it. You could pay somebody that you don't know to come into sparring on a very specific Saturday at a very specific time of 7 p.m. with a weigh-in the day before, and you're going to pay him $5,000 per round, and you're going to try to go hard and have him go hard with you. I only offer that. You're essentially going to have to mimic and emulate a fight against somebody that you don't know. You're going to have to get that tension You're going to have to get that speed and get that pressure up. You cannot duplicate that on a bag, in sparring gear, on pads, on a treadmill, on a jump rope. You just can't. Those are great things to substitute for the real thing. But when Conor McGregor says, yeah, I'm a a little bit slow. I'm not able to check this kick. I'm not seeing things as well. I'm getting a little tired a little bit faster. He hasn't done it, and that wasn't his fault. I'm just sharing with you. I mean, look, unless there was something behind the scenes, guys, for the information that we were given, we were told by Conor, Conor McGregor, I'd like to fight four times. We saw him fight one time. It wasn't his fault. There's grappling events that some people will go and enter just to get a flight in, just to get a hotel in, just to get a weigh-in in, just to walk to an arena, just to get a warm-up in a back, and just to get a competition in. There's ways to fill these voids. Connor did none of them. The other side of the coin is he raised his hand and said, I'm ready, and nobody put him in. I don't think we should make that mistake again. I, mean, I got no problem saying we found the right four guys. If we're going to put Chandler versus Poirier, and we're going to do that for the- the belt that Khabib has given up nine weeks ago and we're pretending that he has it, I don't have a problem running this thing all the way to the bronze medal and getting Hooker in there with McGregor. It seems to make a level of sense. And it seems as though we need to get these guys busy and we need to do it in a hurry. It seems as though Gaethje and Charles Oliveira, who looked like they were going to come together by process of elimination, now have a chance to speak up. They now have a chance to speak up and change our minds if they're seeing somebody that they would rather get. I'm hearing talk of a trilogy fight between McGregor and poor I got no problem with it. I think that works. A true trilogy fight always works. You would meet that, of course, with, well, what about a trilogy fight between McGregor and Diaz? And you're going to have your competitive spirit Versus business. I don't care which one wins. I'm just sharing with you that that will be the battle. Competitive spirit of Conor McGregor is going to be rem- what re- to remember what happened last, and that is going to be to want a rematch with Poirier. Business wise says bring in Diaz. Most interesting thing Poirier did leading into this fight was hand him a bottle of hot sauce, right? I mean, he- Pick a different partner, but imagine that Connor and Poirier do go fight again. Imagine they fight next. You kind of got to put the belt up, don't you? We we can't have Poirier's next fight not before a belt, can we? That wouldn't make that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't make any level of sense. He's a main eventer and a former champion. That just wouldn't make any sense. So if you say that you want to see Connor versus Poirier in the trilogy, and you throw the belt up after Connor just cleaned got cleaned up, I mean, can you put Connor in there for a belt? I guess that's what I'm asking you. He's three and three in his last six. I'm asking the the question. I'm not answering the question, but you see where that would be problematic. You see where that would be a little bit of a head scratcher. What are you going to say to Michael Chandler? <laughs> what are you going to say? I'm just asking a question where that can get a little bit interesting. And If Conor comes out and says, this is what I really want to do. And the whole world goes, yeah, I want to see it too. A t- true trilogy fight. That sounds awesome. Well, Poirier's next fight's got to be for the belt. Is there a scenario where McGregor's next fight should be for the belt? You see the problem? I mean, it's just things to think of. There's all sorts of things. that go. There's all sorts of moving parts. And frankly, really, there's no wrong answer. But do you see the problem. Not to mention, you can have a badass from Stockton, or you can have a guy that handed you a bottle of barbecue sauce. I mean, in, in all fa- the, the, the apples are not apples here. There's a difference. And I think that things do start to get very interesting, and I, th- I think that the Oliveras of the world, if they're ever going to speak up, need to do it now. Now, Olivera hasn't spoken up for himself, even since uh, the night that he got on everybody's radar. Gaethje's been relatively quiet. And if you're looking for parody, that is a major problem that Chandler solves. Chandler versus Pori has never happened, quite simply. By the way, let's say that's for the title. It would make a level of sense to bring in Gaethje and Oliveira as your co-main event, but also as your backup fight. If something were to happen in the title fight, again, supporting the idea of parody, that's where Charlie Olives slides right up, which may be Oliveira's greatest opportunity for a title shot right now, is for something weird to happen. Weird things happen all the time. They happen all the time, but it, that may be his greatest his chances for something to happen. And that's where he slides in. Nothing wrong with that. But you start to unplay this division. I think that we do all need to at least agree on a few things. Dustin Poirier cannot be denied. Whatever is next and whoever is next, a belt. Michael Chandler cannot be denied. And by the way, Khabib has not hedged. Khabib does not show an interest. And in all fairness, you guys weren't clamoring for him when he was around. So let's take the man at his word Let's us as the audience not pretend that we're all of a sudden some big Khabib fan Leave that for the part of the world that actually is Khabib fans Get behind your guy Is that gonna be Chandler? Is that gonna be Poirier? Let's get a date And give some consideration to what I'm saying I don't know that we need to see trilogy fights Those are options But what about a Hooker versus Conor? And Hooker did, allegedly I did not see this Apparently this was part of the broadcast You guys might have seen it. I didn't. I guess I looked away hooker allegedly left the ring took his gloves off and threw them back into the ring which is the signal that i'm retired generally a fighter will come out ceremonial and lay those down i don't know who started that but that's the way that it goes and there's a tip i had and very cool to whoever did start it i, I like the tradition myself if hooker is in fact retired which i hope he's not if hooker is in fact retired and his way of was retiring was to leave the cage and then throw the gloves in i mean in all fairness that's a freaking cool move I, like that's That's the greatest retirement. If that is, in fact, what he did and he never comes back. And while already outside, he gets the bright idea and just chucks the gloves in. I mean, come on. Dana, give him an of the night bonus just for that move. By the way, do you guys ever follow Coach Kavanaugh? I suggest you do it on Twitter, Instagram, possibly the coolest guy in MMA. Like you're just never gonna get any crap from him. When he had the world eating out of his hand because he's training the biggest, he was never a dick. And if things don't go his way, he's never down in the dumps. He's very steady, which is what you need from a coach. I thought I should just give him that compliment. I mean, in all fairness, Kavanaugh is just a really cool guy, but listen to what he said about Connor, and, and really follow the words. Cause it will prove my point. Kavanaugh says, Connor is already harassing everybody about getting the trilogy fight with Poirier. I don't think Dustin's against it and hopefully we can do it this summer. Hold the thought. The best thing he said there was simply, I don't think Dustin's against it. Many other coaches, managers, and of course the fighters are going to come out and they're going to say something nasty at Dustin. Coach Kavanaugh was very, he said, I don't think he's against it. I mean, in all fairness, you got to really hold those words. That's a proper call out, particularly when you're not calling a guy out. You're actually asking him to do something and there's nothing you're hiding if you're Connor. Hey dude. My life in the bubble I live in just got thrown off course. And the only thing to straighten that course out is if I can get back in there, oh, and by the way, beat you. I don't just want to compete with you. I don't want to be a nice guy like I was. I want to beat you. You just took everything from me. I want to take it back. Will you sit down at the table and can we deal these cars? I mean, it's one of those things. So for Kavanaugh to simply say, I don't think Poirier is against it. That is the perfect way to go about this, particularly when it is you that wants something. I mean, I really want to give credence to that because now let's look a little bit further. All right. Who, what, when, why, where? If you don't have who, what, when, why, where, you do not have a story. He included the win and the win is extremely important, which is this summer. I'm going to call Summer July. That's for me. But that is typically International Fight Week. It is typically a mega fight, and this trilogy most certainly is. Also very wise of Conor to quickly, before he even left the Octagon on Saturday night, declare for the world and remind them we are now one and one. And by the way, my one came a little bit easier and a little bit faster than your one. I mean, not for nothing, but you have to start to plant and sow the seeds of the story. Relevant. And I'm with Coach Kavanagh, I haven't talked to Dustin yet, I will speak to him. I figure his phone's blowing up, Right? I didn't want to be that guy, one of those guys. I don't think he's against it. He beat Connor. why would he not want to go out and do that again? I'm going to assume in his largest payday ever, that whole red panty night you draw, that's a very real thing. I would assume that he would like to do that again. The one and only problem that I have speaking to you guys about a trilogy or even predicting the trilogy for you, the only problem that I have, which is a pretty small one, I think we can get around it, my problem is Dustin's next fight's gotta be for the belt which means if he's fighting Connor that has to be a title fight. So now you have Dustin who has earned a title shot against Connor who just got cleaned up prior to the title f- fight. Now this is coming from a guy who got a world title fight after just getting cleaned up. I mean, you you can do these things. I fought John Jones right after I fought Anderson Silva. These Things can happen, but you're getting this from a guy that there's ways. There's ways this has to be done. And I think Connor, who has a commodity aside from the punches and kicks, and Connor, who is the only fighter in this space who has a commodity aside from the performance, needs to go back into Connor mode. I feel like some of that started at the press conference and it wasn't his doing. Connor showed up to that press conference because that is a procedural requirement and only a scumbag wouldn't do it. If you have to hang your head as a way of giving the nod to the guy who won, you have to do that. You ever seen the medal stand at the Olympics? You know how bad it hurts that guy that's got the silver medal. You know how bad he's hurting, but he stands there. He stands there and lets the other guy get his due. It's sport. I really appreciate that Connor did that, but at the press conference that he showed up to, to be a gentleman and for no other reason, he did not want to be there. That hurt. Somebody read to him a, a, a tweet that could be put out. And that is where Connor's face changed and he went back into Connor. That is where the real Connor started to come out. And I liked it. I'm complimenting it, but it pissed him off badly. And Khabib's tweet was not all that. Deep, Like the knife that went in was not all that deep. He simply said, this is what you, g-. I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact words, but this is what you get when you leave your team and you go to Portugal. And I will agree with Khabib, that was one very bizarre part of this story. I remember reading that Connor went to Portugal and I remember sitting there going, Portugal? What's in Portugal? I don't know what fighter on the roster, Bellator or UFC is from Portugal. And I'm sure you guys can answer that. I don't know who that person is. I don't know what coach or gym, I'll even look at the end. Amateurs, wrestling in the Olympic games, boxing in the Olympic games, judo in the Olympic games, taekwondo in the Olympic games, Portugal is represented in all of those. I don't know of a medalist ever. in any one of, I'm only suggesting for you that I, that's a Portugal, Portugal for MM. What are you doing? Conor's house geographically is 20 minutes from the gym from straight blast gym I did think Portugal was weird too I never understood the Portugal side of it so for Khabib to bring that to him as a way of saying you left what got you there and walked away which was Conor's big problem to take you back with T.J. Dillashaw you guys remember that story on the Ultimate Fighter and all the heat and beef that is T.J. Dillashaw versus Alpha Male or T.J. Dillashaw specifically against Uriah Faber the genesis of that all came from Conor none of it was said by Uriah Uriah Faber never won had a problem with what TJ was doing. That all came from Connor who went as far as to call TJ a snake in the grass. Look at what you did. You snake. These are the guys that made you. And now you've run off to Colorado with Dwayne. You're a snake and you can't be trusted. I don't know the Connor and the Portugal story. So don't take my words for any more than what my words are, which to be clear, I don't know the Portugal story. I did think it was bizarre that he went off to Portugal. I have never been offered an explanation by anybody as to what was there or why he went. And I'm with Khabib. I cannot imagine that he packed up his own team and his own trainers and went to Portugal. Why would you possibly do that when you're already 20 minutes away from him? We're always going to judge a guy after his performance when he does not get the result that he wants. Okay. I am not even speaking to you about Portugal had Connor won. I'm not going to come to you and tell you he did everything right. He found this great train in Portugal. Look at what a great job he did. I'm going to ignore it. I'm only going to bring it up to be a dick when things don't go his way. So definitely take what I'm saying with, with a grain of salt. But to make believe anything less than Connor was slow and rusty because he had been inactive, guys, he's telling the truth. That's exactly what happened. And Connor's not going to be the last to do it. John Jones is coming next. And it's not going to be any more John's fault than it was Connor's fault. But there is one difference, which is John took his ball and went home. And Connor said, Someone give me a fight. And they didn't give him one. So if you do want to feel a little bit of compassion towards somebody and those are your two uh, John Jones and Conor McGregor walk se- similar paths in terms of how much they set out and how active they were you're going to be more sympathetic to Conor because he's the one that says somebody put me in what in the hell have I done wrong you want me to fight Khabib Khabib's not I want to fight somebody else somebody put me in I, I, I bring that cue because it's different and you are going to see this with John Jones who is so goddamn good he might still win not only are you going to see this with John you're seeing it right now Reyes beat him one judge thought Santos beat him you're seeing it right now that as people we don't get better at something by not doing it and there's an old expression but don't ever forget it because it's very true and this is a reminder if you chase two rabbits you will catch neither and one thing with conor mcgregor is he is spread very thin he is so wildly talented at what he does but now he's off in the whiskey and he's doing commercials that are airing during the super bowl that was a year ago and he's getting endorsements with clubs and spot it's one of these what do you do if you're connor do you take your eye off of all of those things and stay laser focused so that you can achieve something that's very hard to do which is being the Best in the world at something, or do you recognize that the whiskey doesn't work if I'm not doing this? I can't come and do the whiskey later. The whiskey only works because I'm hot right now. Oh, and by the way, the endorsements and some of these—they don't work unless they happen right now. I'm not in a commercial for the Super Bowl unless I do. I can't come back in ten years and go, "Hey guys, remember me." It's just not the way sports work. So there's no part of me that is blaming or even judging Connor. I'm just reminding you of the expression. I mean, tie that in with another expression said by the great Orville Redenbacher: "Do one thing and do." it better than anybody. It's a very real thing in life that many people face. I'm hot right now, and I'm very tempted to throw a whole bunch of things at the wall and see what sticks. The other side of the coin, if I can stay laser focused, I can get that one thing that I really care about to stick longer, but those are your options. Everybody has a window, and I do not believe that Connors is behind him. Again, to reference the press conference, Connor was paying homage to those leg kicks, the calf kick specifically, but all of the legs kicks, and he went as far as to say that's a nasty, nasty weapon, and my leg was killed, his words. But then he went on to say, it is not as though I don't have the skills to adjust for that next time. I just couldn't do it now because he already killed my leg. I didn't know I needed to adjust until I no longer had... The benefit of my lead leg, which in this case was Connor's right leg. And Connor's right. He's a very dynamic fighter. He could go out there and switch that stance a number of ways. He could go out there and at the end of combinations, take one step to his left, which would take that power of the kick away. And Dustin never threw the kick except at the end of combinations. I mean, Connor is right. Then knowing what he knows now and going to making adjust- adjustments that he's dynamic enough, that's not something, again, to personalize that I could offer for you. I was not a very dynamic guy. I was going to get in your face and I was going. To be grimy and I was going to use some toughness and some skill and if that didn't work I was going to come in second. connor's not that way. He is very very versatile. Is it enough to swing what we saw? That's a whole nother conversation. It's a whole nother conversation because in fairness when you're looking at that fight and you're seeing some of the ailments of Connor, it was not a perfect fight by Poirier. Poirier made a lot of mistakes in that fight, and Poirier got baited a number of times, including speaking to Connor audibly and visibly during the contest. Poirier doesn't speak to his opponent. Ap- Connor led that thing. Connor led the press, gets on his knees, Poirier gets on his knees. Connor says something nice, Poirier says something. I mean, Connor big brothered this thing from Jump Street, which is likely not to happen again. Poirier is likely to come in and realize, hey, I'm the A side. There's a reason you're walking out there first and I'm walking out there second. Whoever walks out second is the star of the night. So I'm, br- I'm only bringing to you that, yes, Connor can make adjustments, but Poirier can too. Even in victory, Poirier is going to be able to go back and look at that and go, man, I took some shots. I ate that left hand a number of times and I dealt with it, but I ate it. I don't want to do that in the future. Poirier was on top. There was zero ground and pound. There was zero passing. There was zero submission attempts. I don't think Poirier expected to be on top. That was a half-hearted takedown attempt at best, and it worked. These are not insults to Poirier. I'm mean, being very critical of two of the best fighters in the world. But in fairness, Poirier is also going to learn from that fight, and Poirier is going to come back stronger next time, too. Would be my prediction. Are we going to get that fight? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Most likely. How do we go and make that for the belt? And that's gotta be for the belt. We just can't run Conor out there. We just can't put Poirier out there. We just can't do it and not put the belt up. So there's gonna be a little marketing. There's gonna be a little PR. There's a couple of things that you have to do. Some of you are gonna resist the idea that Conor, off of a loss, is working into a world title fight make sure you see the other side of the coin which is Poirier who has done everything right and many people Joe Rogan included as recently as this morning have called Poirier the uncrowned champion that sounds right to me Poirier does deserve a title shot so whoever his next opponent is in my opinion is going to be for the belt support for your welcome is brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Guys, I got big news. Manscaped just released their refined cologne to help you feel good and smell good all over all the time. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men around the world. Join the movement for all your below and above the waist grooming needs. And guys, I'm not gonna lie. I know I look like, I smell good all the time, but sometimes after training, I offend even myself. Manscaped's new refined cologne is the perfect fix for the times I am on the go and don't have time for a quick shower. Plus my wife loves the scent and you want to know how it smells? I'm going to do my best Jay Peterman impression. This manly scent is calming and inviting. It brings with it a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes. And guys, it's a little woodsy, masculine finish. The beautifully designed 50 milliliter glass bottle makes a statement and the manly scent is attractive to set the mood. Plus 20% off and free shipping. All you gotta do is use the code SUNNEN at manscaped.com. Also, be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 with all the essentials for below-the-waist grooming needs, including the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer and crop formulations. I don't have to tell you guys what these handy tools are used for. Again, get 20% off and free shipping. All you got to do is use the code SUNNEN at Manscape.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUDDEN. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. Oh, and tell your girl I said you're welcome. Worried about online security? The best way to protect yourself online is by using the privacy app IPVanish. IPVanish is a virtual private network. VPN for short, used on computers, tablets, and phones that secures your connection to the internet and protects your personal information. IPVanish helps protect you whenever you use public Wi-Fi, which is not always secure. When you use IPVanish, your personal data, like your emails, files, even your credit card, and banking information, it's all encrypted, helping keep you safe from online thieves. How many times have you Googled something only to have the ad follow you across Websites and on your social media channels. Well, that IP address is being tracked. Advertisers and hackers use it to keep tabs on you. With IP Vanish, your real IP address is hidden, helping keep your identity safe. And IP Vanish has a zero log policy. So they're not recording your internet activity. What you do online stays private online when it comes to internet connections at home and on the go. I know I depend on IPVanish. IPVanish is rated 4.7 out of 5 by real customers on Trustpilot. If you care about your internet privacy and you want to get reliable online data protection, then head over to IPVanish.com slash Plans start at $3.49 a month, which is a great price to secure all of your devices. All you got to do is go to IPVanish.com slash to start protecting yourself today. So guys, look at things from Poirier's perspective, right? I mean, when Poirier lost to Khabib, he probably felt like his life was over. I realize that's way too dramatic. I'm just sharing with you, these athletes live in a very small bubble and as cool as they look on TV and as glamorous as that looks with the cameras on them, their lives are not wonderful. They're very hard. Dustin Poirier's life is very, very hard. Two sessions a day, walking into a gym in an absolute mega gym, of American top team in Florida. I mean, he it's it's iron on iron. That, that put it in this perspective. When Dustin Poirier leaves the front door and kisses his wife goodbye and says I'll see you in a couple of hours. He gets into a car to drive to go spar with George Mosvidal. Have you ever thought about it in that way? I mean, imagine if you have to go fight George Mosvidal. Imagine if you were in the cage with George Mosvidal or you're the three guys from that story I told you about at the club with George Mosvidal. Poirier has to do it every day. Not he gets to do it. He has to go and do this. And by the way, as impressive as that name of George Mosvidal is, that's not like the hardest round he's going to go. I mean, he has Amosovs in the room. Austin Vanderford's in the room. I mean, I could go on and we can name drop all day long. American top team at one point, think of this go around. Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, Dustin Poirier, Colby Covington, George Masvidal, Hector Lombard. That's off the top of my head. And you got to go three to five rounds. So you pick from those, any way you want to do it. What three do you want? What five do you want? I only bring this to you because his life is very hard. It's very difficult. Aside from the cameras and the glitz, it's very difficult. And that just won't be seen. We'll never be seen. Dustin Poirier's a star. Everything's going his way It's a tough grind So when I share with you Something as dramatic as When he lost to Khabib He finally felt like His life was over Yes I'm being dramatic But at least his sports Where's he gonna go? Where does Dustin Poirier go from here? And he goes into this fight with Dan Hooker, okay? He goes from the fight with Khabib, where they built an arena in his honor, to fighting Hooker in a crowd of nobody. I mean, it's just, the world was just different. And he went out and did it, and he did it for 25 minutes hard, hard fight. Split decision, almost didn't go his way, does go his way, moves into this main event of what Dana has declared is a top two pay-per-view sell of all time, right? I mean, Think about it from Poirier's perspective, but now think about how he wakes up today. Connor had all of these options a few days ago. I mean, $50 million offer from the Paul kid, by example. In talks to go and box Manny Pacquiao, by example. Can go and do whatever he wants in the world of MMA, by example, to all of a sudden Connor's waking up, whether he's right or wrong. I I tend to think in about two weeks, it's a distant memory. I believe that Connor went into this fight, the biggest star in the sport. I believe he wakes up today, the biggest star in the sport. And I believe within two weeks, we forgot that this is even happening happened, broad stroke statement, point that I'm trying to make, Poirier took it all. Poirier is now the one with the options. Poirier's name was coming out of this Paul kid's mouth who apparently has $50 million in an escrow account somewhere. Pacquiao is now talking about Poirier. Floyd Mayweather is now talking about Poirier. When you get in the cage, whatever you bring, all the chips are on the table. There is no no title match. Everything you bring is now on the line. Poirier took it all. So Poirier, who a couple of fights ago, which represents about a year, Feels as though this could be the beginning of the death of his MMA career. He wakes up today. He's being called out by Conor McGregor. Every fighter's dream. Every fight. This Paul kid I'm talking about. Mayweather. Packett. They're all hoping that Conor says their name. Conor is saying Poirier's name. Pretty interesting. Nate Diaz is saying Poirier's name. And if you want to talk about the biggest stars in the sport, yeah, sure, you're going to throw Conor in there. And then that's going to be real arguable opposite George Masvidal. And that's going to be a real tough conversation when you bring in Nate Diaz. But those are the three biggest draws. Those are your three guaranteed box office hits in the sport today. Of course, absent George St. Pierre, who I believe is absent. So if you're Poirier, you're looking around the room, you're going, man, I can probably beat everybody here. And on any given night, I for sure could beat anybody here. But the three biggest guys in the sport, one of them's my teammate. The other two are offering their services. Pretty cool spot. So what do you do? What do you do? How do you turn down a fight with Nate Diaz? How do you possibly do that? The numbers are going to be the same. The parody is going to be different. I think that Poirier can live with one and one. I can personally live with one and one if I went last, right? If I lost to a guy, but then I came back and I got the second and I beat a guy, I can live with it. And I share that, I personalize it. That happened to me with Tito and I didn't get to go last. Tito went last. And I will tell you, it feels different. I don't feel like we're one and one. I feel like I got beat by the worst guy in the sport. I mean, right? in all fairness, but you, it's the way it goes. Sometimes I mean, you got to admit it. So I want to ask you guys. Very sincerely, I want your comments. I want your feedback on this. Sometimes I think that you guys uh, misplace your power. You have a ton of power. There are power in numbers. And I do want to hear your perspective, but play it through in your head. Don't don't come to me off the cuff, I'm giving you the option of Poirier versus Connor, Poirier versus Diaz. Either fight's going to be for the belt. Okay. This is the scenario that I'm painting for you, but I want to hear from you. And I don't want you to just go, Connor, Diaz! I don't want you to I want you to think about it. What are you more likely to buy? And I don't mean by pushing the button and kicking in your 49.95 on ESPN. I mean what what are you most likely to swallow and, and accept? That Connor's next fight is gonna be for the bell or that Diaz's next fight is going to be for the belt. And I feel as though Diaz has a very good argument because he's changing weight classes. Diaz's last fight was a title fight. Complain about that all you want. I was there and I watched the title get put around George Masvidal's waist. It was for a title. There was controversy and it was at a different weight class. And historically speaking, when guys change weight classes, as long as they had a good solid ranking at this one, they can move into a number one ranking if they change weight classes. It's why I've argued for you. I've always, Tyron Woodley, who does not listen to me, I wish would have gone to 185. I think Tyron Woodley would cut the pack. I don't care what his record is in his in the last 12 months or 15 months. I think Tyron Woodley changing to 185 would cut the pack. This isn't a talk about Tyron Woodley. I offer you that because I think the same is true for Nate Diaz. The fact that his last fight was a loss while being for a title at a different weight class, I think in many ways is something easier to swallow. And by the way, there's parody. And by the way, I just hit you in the door with something very tough. Because if you're going to do, uh, do the whole, uh, if it makes dollars, it makes sense routine. If you're going to pull that one on me, you can't act as though we're talking about really big numbers here. Is Connor versus Poirier a great draw? You bet your ass it is. Is Poirier versus Diaz a really big draw? You bet your ass it is. It's a tough one. That's a decision that Poirier will get to weigh in on. First time in Poirier's career. Poirier is not used to sitting down at the table with Dana and holding a few of the cards. He used to listening. But Dana will show him this respect. Dana will go to him, I promise you. Mark my words. He will say, what do you want to do? And then Dana will say, well, here's what I was thinking. And that is, But that's how the conversation will go. Now, for the first time ever, Poirier has some options. And Poirier's not the scumbag who's going to go run after this Pacquiao fight or who's going to run after the Jake Paul fight. Poirier's going to stay right here with you guys, his family. But he's going to have a very interesting choice. And by the way, I don't mean to discard Michael Chandler, but Poirier said at the press conference, I'm really not interested in Chandler. And he paid him his due and said, look, he looks great, but he just beat a guy that I just beat. If you think that is enough to impress me, he's been here one time. There's another guy, his name's Charles Oliveira, who's a great fighter. And Chandler looks like a great fighter. But to get to me, you're going to have to do a little iron-on-iron around here, not just beat someone that I beat. Go fight Oliveira. And you know what? If you're in Poirier's shoes and you don't get those guys together, that means you have to go fight them both. I don't blame Poirier at all for saying, you guys go get together. One of you, up your stock around here and then come and see me. Smart play by Poirier, but I also think that he's likely to get his way. Poirier is very likely to get his way, and I think Poirier is very likely in the crosshairs of a choice between two, Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. And the paycheck is not going to change so significantly that Dana won't sit down and listen. But what a difference a day has made in this sport. What a difference a day has made. And I cannot imagine that Poirier got the call to fight Dan Hooker on a non-pay-per-view five-round made event and was overly excited but he did it anyway and all he's asking of Michael Chandler is that Chandler go and do the same hey I had to eliminate a lot of guys I want you to go and eliminate a guy go and get rid of Charles Oliveira for me or vice versa Oliveira get rid of Chandler for me I don't care which one of you does it one of you get rid of one of them and I'll do you a favor by seeing you at the end So here's the question, guys. Where does Michael Chandler go from here? It is not as simple as he goes into a title fight, because then you... With who? Who is more obvious for a title fight? Who is more obvious, Chandler or Poirier? Okay, Poirier wins. Poirier is more obvious. He his next fights for the title. Any way you want to do it, we take that damn thing off, Khabib, which has been obvious for nine. But we finally do what's obvious for nine weeks. We take the belt off, Khabib, or Khabib comes back and fights Poirier. If you want to be one of those conspiracy theorists, I don't argue either way. But it's against Poirier. Do you agree? Okay. Yes. The answer is yes. Am I right? Absent of Khabib, where's Chandler go? Because it would appear that Chandler also deserves a title fight. And as recently as a week ago, in fairness, we all said it looks like we've got the final four. So let's put the winner of the main event against the winner of the co-main event. Sure, we also thought that was going to be Connor. Sure. But the fact that it's not Connor, I don't think equals that we now get to punish the winner of the co-main event. We said a week ago it should be those two guys. But it doesn't look like it's going to be. It looks as though Poirier gets to choose between Nate Diaz. Poirier offered his own suggestion, of course, which is that Chandler go and fight Oliveira. I'll tell you right now, Chandler's not going to have a problem with that. You guys that don't know who Chandler is, or maybe you don't like Chandler, or maybe now there's a uh, your new fans, but the other side of the coin, you're now jealous. This guy comes in, he has a wonderful performance, cuts a great promo, and now I want to hold him down. Okay. Here's what you don't know about Michael Chandler. He's a competitor first and foremost. He is not... Sure, he's going to try to lobby and position. But he's not going to try and lobby and position beyond one phone call that says we would like you to fight Oliveira. He will say okay and he will put the phone down. I'm only sharing that with you because... Chandler versus Oliveira is very interesting. The problem that we have with making that prediction is a lot of people are saying that Gaethje is going to fight Oliveira, which seemed like the obvious fight because those were the only two players left on the board. Now, what if I threw this at you yet another way, which is Chandler versus Gaethje? I mean, do you see where things get pretty cool pretty quick? We don't necessarily have the problems you may think. We've got some really good stuff going on here. By the way, Gaethje, who just has a loss, and you got Hooker, who just has a loss, and I don't believe those two have ever matched up. I mean, do you see where all of a sudden, 155... There's just no way to do it wrong. There's just ways maybe to do it better. It's a very exciting division. So when you're discussing what comes next for Michael Chandler, hold that, th- I, th- I think that Oliveira is going to be looked at. But then you'll also be able to look at Gaethje. If Chandler goes with Oliveira, what do you do with Gaethje? If Chandler gets over on Gaethje, is that just as meaningful as getting over on Oliveira, even though different styles? Yeah, it probably is. So I think you're. I think you're good. I think either way you want to do it is good to buy yourself some time. Keep Michael Chandler out there, buy yourself some time to get this championship resolved, which I would argue for, you purely as a fan, is priority number 1 within the division. Get a belt around somebody. Those boys who are sacrificing everything with a dream have the right to have a belt to go out and pursue. Okay, what do you do with Dan Hooker? Now, Hooker may or may not have retired. I don't accept the retirement. If we're not going to accept Khabib's retirement, we can't accept Hooker's. But Hooker Hooker took his glo- allegedly. I didn't I didn't even see this and I watched the broadcast. People were saying that Hooker left the cage, undid his gloves, and just pitched them into the octagon. Oh, I love Dan Hooker. I've always liked Dan Hooker, but never more than right now. If that in any way was his sign of retirement, which is great. You can't have your comeback fight until you retire first. If that was his retirement move, <laughs> there was a guy that did this in wrestling. Okay. This actually started from wrestling. And the first person to lay their gloves down and walk away was a wrestler. But the wrestler got the move because when you retire in wrestling, you take your shoes off and you leave them in the center of the match. Three seconds later, the referee who's trying to start a new match is going to come and pick those up and put them somewhere. And the last thing the ref wants is your dirty, sweaty shoes. He'll put them in a garbage can. I mean, they're not like this real significant thing, but that is where that comes from. And there was this wrestler, 1988 Goodwill Games, that was never supposed to be representing the US. He got prodded off the bench. He wasn't even the guy. So he was in no level of shape to go out there and face the Canadians, the Cubans, and the Russians, but he went anyway. So he loses all three of the matches badly leaves the mat and he's sitting in his chair on the side he's done he can't even move he's so tired he just takes his shoe off and he throws it on the mat and he takes the other and he just throws it on the mat he's like I'm done and nobody argued he didn't he didn't score a single team point for the team it's like yeah you're done you never even should have been here but it was so funny and he was too tired he was too tired to get up and walk out and so he just pitches them onto the mat of which a referee has to then come and clean them up the referee doesn't want these things. It reminded me of that when Hooker just pitched his gloves in. man. It was so funny. But I don't accept Hooker's retirement. In fact, not only do I not accept his retirement, whatever is next for Hooker is going to be beautiful. Dan Hooker has not been less than a co-main event since the night Adesanya won the title over Whitaker, to put that in perspective for you. Hooker has not been less than... Co- Dan Hooker matters. He absolutely matters. So something cool is still down the pike for Hooker. I might have just solved the problem when I said Justin Gaethje. They're both on, They're both on losses. Sean Shelby likes to get guys to get. He likes to get winners together. He likes to get guys that got beat together. I mean, it, it, that's a great fight. Oh my God! You'd stop what you're doing, Justin Gaethje versus Dan Hooker. Not to mention Gage, he's dumb enough to go stand with him. And by dumb enough, I mean, he's fun enough. He's crazy. He believes in his stand. That's a good fight. That's a really interesting match. I have a different idea. Same idea I always have, by the way. I realize I don't come to you with a lot of... D- I have a different idea. 170. I got no problem with seeing Dan Hooker against George Masvidal right now. Right now. I don't, I don't care. Give a damn that he's coming off a loss. I will stop and watch Dan Hooker versus George Masvidal for the BMF title right now. I'm not going to get my way. They're not going to bring him off a loss and put him against George. I'm offering for you a fine example. And Hooker's tall, right? I mean, Hooker's got the frame. Hooker could definitely fill into a 170-pounder. I would be very curious how much Hooker weighs when he's walking around. I know his teammate, Adesanya, does not believe in cutting weight and doesn't do it. But I believe that Hooker does pull. I believe he pulls down to 155. I believe, and just looking at his frame and how big and tall he is, I would assume he's a 170 more naturally. I can tell you from firsthand knowledge, when you change weight class, oh, boy, you rejuvenize the whole sport. You start to enjoy it again. Every day is not just about calorie deficit. Now you can actually go and learn some moves. can actually work on some stuff. Very fun. My teammates do it right now. Austin Vanderford, 170 pounder, totally undefeated, calls Mike Kogan up at Belcher, says, I want to go 185. Kogan says, go ahead. So Austin is undefeated at 185, but I talked to him. He's just enjoying life. His life is better because he's not going into practice in calorie deficit, worn down, drawn out, and then has to push for two hours. It's just one of these things that if Hooker does weigh what I think he weighs, I'd love to see him just go to 170. And I think he's a player right away. Absolute best case scenario. And best case even involves Dana doing you a favor. I mean, a best case scenario, he is three wins away from the discussion of a title fight at 155. The discussion. I think he's one win away at 170. There's just things that happen to guys when they change weight classes. His spot is as a co-main and a main event fighter. He is not going to lose that spot. I don't accept his retirement. I got a huge kick out of his retirement. I would like him to clarify if he was attempting to retire by throwing those gloves in just purely for comic relief because that is an <laughs> that's my favorite part of the whole show is that Dan Hooker's throwing his gloves in saying I'm done. Dan Hooker's not done. We do not accept this. We don't accept it from Khabib. We might have to live with it. We don't accept it. We damn sure don't accept it from Dan Hooker. Why? Because he T caught one punch? Come on, Dan. We don't care. As fans and viewers, we do not care and we do not judge you that you took a punch. So what? So I was watching uh, I was watching the pay-per-view Saturday, and they pop up an advertisement for Submission Underground, and I loved it. I, I marked out for it. I didn't know that was going to be in there. It's on this pay-per-view, all right. Pat on my own back, but I was personally excited about it, and then they put up a screen, a full page of March. Oh, my God, it was nasty. I could not believe it. I'm looking at the March, and they only put the main events, like uh, first week of March, and it was like Adesanya versus Blahovich, Second week of March, Chumayev. Versus Edward, third week of March. And Gano versus Stipe, fourth Saturday in March. And I forgot it. I forgot it off the top of my head. It was just as good as all the ones I just named. There's no way they're doing four pay-per-views, which means we're getting at least three of those for free right? We're getting at least two of those for free. They might be, I got to assume the world heavyweight title and I got to assume the lightweight championship, Lahovic and Izzy, both pay-per-views, but we're about to, we're going to get two free ones in there. Loaded March, like the most loaded month I have ever seen the UFC put on a full page in advertise. So this most loaded march, back up guys. There's a fight coming up and I don't want anyone to miss this. And I don't know if anyone can tell the story, like me. I'm involved in this at least a little bit, which is Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman. And the reason I am involved and the reason I am excited about this fight is one thing. Okay, the day I meet Uriah Hall, set of the Ultimate Fighter, Uriah Hall had a record then of roughly 11 and one. He might've been 12 and one, he might've been 10 and one. Anderson Silva was the champion of the world. And the gym where we trained in, was a great big picture of Anderson Silva with the belt over his shoulder. I mean, right, if you're coming through the Ultimate Fighter, particularly if you're going to win it, there is a real history of whoever wins the Ultimate Fighter goes into world title fights and becomes world champions. It is the toughest tournament in sports, and Uriah is the guy who's going to win it. That is absolutely the belief of everybody, including Dana White. And Dana White, I overheard him say on two different occasions during this process, watching Uriah fight, and he would turn to some, I think he was turning to Craig, but he would turn and say to some, what am I gonna do with this guy I'm gonna, am I gonna if I got put him right into a world title fight? Like, Uriah was that nasty and that scary and that impressive. But Uriah wasn't talking about Anderson, not once. All Uriah Hall wanted to do, when I told you about his record, 11-1, and 1, that one was to Chris Weidman. Both living in New York, and where they fought was a small regional show that had a lot of hometown territory, a lot of hometown bragging rights. But they fought in this small show that wasn't even televised, and Weidman beat him. And Uriah Hall was never talking about being the ultimate fighter. He wasn't going on to... Riches and fames. He wasn't talking about world titles with Anderson Silva. Every time you talked to him, all he wanted was Chris Weidman. (laughs) so it's just one of those things where when you find out how important this is to an athlete and you find out for how long and why I mean this was one of those back room matches that unless you were there you didn't see you don't even know it existed I'm not a hundred percent sure that there's even a video out there within the internet that you could search and see this match I've been in those myself the first match I ever had small room biggest crowd I'd ever performed in front of wrestler my whole life there was almost 200 people the Roseland Theater in Portland Oregon almost 200 people I was a super star. I couldn't believe it. 200 people. And I fought a guy named Trevor Prangley. And when I rematched Trevor Prangley, this little thing, again, like my point, there's not even a video you could find out there, right? Very insignificant match, but mattered to me. I rematched Prangley in the UFC. So I just kind of got where Uriah was coming from. This isn't about the championship. It's not about Anderson. It's not about all these things going on. You want to get that one back. And that one is against a guy named Chris Weidman. And Uriah is finally getting that opportunity and chance. And that's a very different match. Chris Weidman fights a very different style than he did early on. He came in as the All-American. But he was also an All-American Division I wrestler for Hofstra. I mean, uh, he's actually an All-American. It wasn't just a, a moniker or a nickname, but he used to fight that way. He would get his hands on you, get on top, and the sport was at a different point back then where that was enough. It went on to not be enough, and Weidman evolved with it. And he doesn't, it's not necessarily wrestling heavy. He's going to come out and jab with you. He's going to come out and kick with you. I I only suggest for you that is a completely different match now. And I don't want this to go under your guys' radar. It's, It's a very fun match. I'm sure you guys agree with me on that, but there's a significance and a meaningful to this. And I I think it's important that you do understand that this is what Uriah Hall has wanted from day one. He's gone on to be co-main events and main events, and he was Anderson Silva's last opponent, all these different things. This is what he's wanted from day one. So keep that in mind. I'm looking forward to the match, and I feel that now you can also look forward to that match. (laughs) Guys, let's talk about the calf kick. You're starting to hear that term and it was the weapon of choice by Poirier that changed the McGregor fight, but that calf kick is nothing new, and it wasn't even made famous in that fight. This this is one of these techniques that's here to stay. Okay, let's back the tape up. The first time that we saw the effectiveness to kicking ever in MMA was not Maurice Smith. A lot of people that are even historians on the sport will tell you Maurice Smith because he was the great kickboxer that went on to capture the world championship. That is false. The first athlete to ever come to MMA and show us the effectiveness of leg kicks is Marco Huaz. And Marco Huaz even used leg kicks to finish a fight. He was taking on somebody called Paul Varland's Rest his soul. We lost him one week ago to COVID. But in that fight, it was all stand-up. We had never seen a fight up to that point in mixed martial arts that ended on its feet without a knockout. We saw guys get punched and fall down, and the referee breaks it. There was no knockout. Marco Huas chopped the big man. He chopped Paul Varlins so many times in the thigh that Varlins went down. He could not stand, and the referee had to stop the fight. We'd never seen it, but whoa, this was an eye-opener to the world. And we haven't had a lot of eye-openers post-90s when the sport of mixed martial arts was just that, the mixing of martial arts, taekwondo versus judo, so on and so forth, we saw a lot of things that we learned, and you could even go back to something as 101 and basic as Oleg Tiktarov showing us all a knee bar. And as simple of a technique as that is that you might learn on your first day of grappling class, nobody had done it at that time. Nobody had seen it. So it was one of these wow moments, same as when Marco Huaz chopped down with leg kicks the big man Paul Marlins. So I remember right where I was I was a freshman in college was going to Brigham Young University and I was so inspired by what I saw on TV that I went in on my own after hours and we used to have a code on the wrestling room door so you could go in 24 hours a day if you wanted I left my apartment by myself went in to the wrestling room turned the lights on turned the music on and went over to Bob Bob is a great big doll that looks like a human being. Bob weighs about 90 pounds, but he's got arms and he's got legs. And I set Bob up against the wall and now I am pretending I'm Marco who was and I'm going to throw these leg kicks. I'm going to throw them from what I saw on TV and I just learned it. I'm going to throw them as hard as I possibly can, of which I do. What I had wrong is I thought I was seeing Marco kicking Paul Varlins with his foot. So with a full steam, as hard as I possibly could, I kicked Bob in his leg with my foot fell to the ground screaming in pain with nobody there to help me and essentially crawled back to my apartment. Which I imagine involved me jumping up and down on one foot. I almost broke my foot. What I didn't know is upon further review, Marco Huaz was using his shin. He was taking this shin, which is why you've heard many people, Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan, compare this to the swinging of a baseball bat. That if you learn to kick correctly, and it's hard, you can reach down and just feel your own shin right now, guys. Feel how hard that is? If you drive that into a thigh of your opponent while turning your hip over, it's like hitting him with a baseball bat. It's very true. It's very, very true. You can only take so many of those kicks, and you are done. Conor McGregor did not take very many kicks, and he was done. But he did take them. Now, let me explain explain. explain the term take. To block a leg kick is devastating to the person that threw the kick, which merely consists of lifting your leg and turning it so that he hits your knee, your big, strong boulder of a knee instead of your soft thigh. Not only will it hurt, he'll break his shin. That's exactly what Chris Weidman did to Anderson Silva. Exactly. Lifted his knee, checked it, and snapped Anderson's leg in half. It's, It's a very tricky technique that must be set up correctly. Cause if you turn and you go and he blocks it, you're the one that's gonna get hurt. And it can be as extreme as what happened with Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman. Okay. So I got it all figured out. I got how I'm going to throw my hook and that's what I'm going to set up to throw my kick and I will never throw the kick unless I hide it behind a hook so the guy can't see it coming so I can hit his thigh and he's not going to hurt me. Great. My own career, that's what I got figured out. Then I go spar one day with Benson Henderson. I don't love that the calf kick is called the calf kick. That needs to be called Benson Henderson's kick. Benson Henderson introduced this to MMA. That is factually and historically correct by me. You will not See any meaningful fighter to ever throw a calf kick prior to Benson Henderson, and Benson Henderson debuted the calf kick in a main event against Nate Diaz. So I'm working out with Benson Henderson, and he keeps he keeps missing my thigh. He misses my thigh. He's kicking me down in the calf, and I can't figure out why. I can't figure. He was a champion of the world at 155. Guy can't even throw a kick. I could have figured it out. Spar- this whole sparring session, he never hits my thigh one time. And I finally tell him after practice, I said, "You know, Benson." Great job today, but you missed my thigh every time. And he real calmly goes, no, I wasn't aiming for it. I was aiming for your calf. I said, you were aiming for my calf. And he looks at me and he goes, hurts, doesn't it? I said, yeah, son of a bitch. You know what? It hurts really bad. He said, yeah, I didn't miss anything. I'm aiming for your calf. And he said, chill. The reason for that is if you check it, you have no ability. I will never hit your knee. If you check it, this upper part of your, all the way to your knee, that's what I don't want to hit. Well, if I aim for your calf, you can't drop your knee. You can only raise your knee. So not only can I hurt you and damage you, I'm in no danger. That's where the, that's where I learned the calf kick. But in all fairness, there's never been a fight anywhere in the that I haven't seen. I'm an avid fan. Benson Henderson debuted it, not only from my experience of in of Jay Glazer's gym, the story I just told you, but he did it on television later. Later, a year or so later, he did it against Nate Diaz. And Nate hadn't seen, Nate didn't know how to check. It. I don't know how to check a calf kick. Get your leg out of the way, I guess. I mean, but there's no way to block it. You can lift your leg up and take a little of the power off it, but you can't block it and then hurt him. It's not a defensive technique that you can do where you can then hurt him when he's going so low. So I believe that the calf kick is here to stay. It's here to stay, one, because people are now seeing its effectiveness, but two, because of the defensive mechanisms against it. They just don't exist. If you don't want to get kicked in the calf, you're going to have to get your foot out of the way but you're not going to be able to turn the gun on him and make it away. But I feel like I've made that point very clear. But I also do argue that Benson Henderson should be the one credited with this. This was not a kickboxing skill that you can go to K-1 and glory and show me guys that were are doing. It. it was not an MMA skill. Benson Henderson brought it over. Benson Henderson... Henderson should be paid credit for. It. And one thing that did happen, Connor was saying, I, I thought I was checking it. I thought I was checking it. That was only a little bit bizarre to me that he thought because at no point did he check. He never raised his leg up. He never turned his knee on the outside. He did nothing. It was a little bizarre to think that Connor thought that he was checking it. I've seen Connor make guys pay for going to his legs before. It's done with a left hand right down the middle. If you ever want to see the effectiveness of stopping a guy who throws a kick, go watch Tim Sylvia win a world championship over Rico Rodriguez. It will take a cross, straight down the middle, and the guy standing there on one foot is going to feel like a fool, which is why you have to disguise it. You never lead with a kick, you finish with a kick. It all starts with the hands, you come out of a combination with a kick. It's very important that you follow that process. The hands are a distraction, but they're also a blinding mechanism so you can finish with a kick. I bring that to you because after Conor weighed in and said he thought he was checking it, Dustin Poirier came to the press conference and talked about the same technique, and Dustin Poirier said, yes, Conor was not checking it, but he also doesn't know how to check it. He was doing it wrong if he would have turned his foot out. That's what would have stopped it because he kept his foot in. That's why my kick, the way my coach Mike Brown showed me, it wraps around, lands right in that muscle, and numbs his leg. A bit of an error by Dustin to offer the defense to his weapon. That was a little bit of him caught up in the moment wanting to give some shine to his coach. In hindsight, he should not have offered the defense to the weapon. But it was very interesting to hear two guys go to a press conference and talk about the same move with such different opinions. And it's an opinion that should be credited to the guy that brought it to the sport. And it never is. It's called the calf kick. That's Benson Henderson's kick. Spencer Lee took on McKee over the weekend. Number one versus number nine. They're gonna see each other a bunch. Same conference, right? Iowa versus Minnesota. So you have the dual meet, but of course, you got the conference championships should you make it at the NCAA, so on and so forth. Set that aside, I mean, the domination of Spencer Lee and the simplicity and basicness of which he does it is very rare. We have seen guys come into the sport, but they're innovative with something. I mean, John Smith was extremely innovative. Nobody was attacking below the knee, period. So when he comes out with his low single or even his high crotch, he did a high crotch, but it's called a two-knee high crotch, where he would drop to both knees. That was an absolute No, in wrestling, one knee always stays up. He would do what was called a two-knee high crotch, and he would also do it off an elbow pull. Now, an elbow pull is something that if Coach Smith shows you, you're not just going to be able to duplicate. There's a body feel to that. Elbows are very different. I don't like those controls, but I acknowledge how well they work for the guys who understand them. But I'm bringing to you, Smith was doing things that had never been done. He was innovating. But one of the reasons that the innovators do so well, Alexander Karela, the Russian and the heavyweight, even though a reverse body lift was not a new technique, it was at heavyweight but he was big and strong enough to get those guys up so you'll see heavyweights that couldn't stop it because they never had to and because they never had to they never practiced it same with when coach smith is coming out with a low level single or a two knee high crotch off an elbow pull because it had never been done there's no defense to it. So you start to understand, at least on some level, why a guy is going so far. And you could back the tape up before we actually had tape all the way to the first ever leg riders that would go out there and score 30 points in a match. Some of you don't know the tech fall rule was not always in place. Used to just be time versus points. So you could win a match by 30 points. You could win it by 50 points. The referee wouldn't step in and stop it. But the first ever leg riders were doing stuff that nobody had ever seen, which is where it's interesting when you watch Spencer Lee. When you watch this level of domination, he does not have anything that you could point to from yesteryear. He is not wildly large for the weight class, by example. He is not bringing a speed, by example, that just can't be dealt with or a strength that can't be dealt with. He is taking you down and he's going to some very basic holds on top. And while I love the wrist ride and the elbow and he rolls you through, I get that. But then he goes right into an armbar half Nelson series. That is 101. I coach high school kids right now. The worst guy in our room knows an armbar and a half. I mean, it's just a very basic, but to watch Spencer bring something so uninnovative, so un. Creative and score 17 points in less than three minutes. It's a thing of beauty. It's amazing. There is no athlete in the top 10 that he's ever going to see this year that doesn't know exactly what he's going to go and do to them. He does it on every match. He hides nothing. You could be the number nine guy ranked in the country like McKee was. You could be the number 19 ranked guy. He's going to do the same thing to you. He doesn't hide it. A lot of the greats will hide, they will only bring what they need when they need to bring it. They will hide it. They know the world's watching. Spencer Lee is telling everybody, just like Hey, Ruth, he's going to walk to the mound and tell you where he's going to put the ball. And then he goes and does it. And it's basic and it's simple. and Nobody can stop it. It's amazing to watch. If he had an overwhelming strength, right, like Robles, say, from Arizona State, just an overwhelming strength where he's going to turn you. It's one of these things, right? A brick falls on your head. What are you going to do? Spencer's coming purely with technique, purely laser focused on certain techniques, and is using those techniques on everybody. And as you start to look to the bigger picture, which of course is not only the Olympic Trials, it's the Olympic Games. It would seem as though he's the front runner. I mean, it would seem as somebody's not only going to have to beat him, the next best guy is going to have to beat him twice in one day. And there's a level of conditioning that comes with collegiate that trumps any experience that you have in freestyle. And the freestyle coaches I hate to admit this, even though they know it to be true, they absolutely. Absolutely know it to be true that you do not need to train freestyle. Get a good understanding of it. Train collegiate. Show up to a freestyle tournament. You're going to do just fine. The Greco-Roman coaches know this as well, and they can deny it all they want. But between watching Kyle Schneider, who did not train freestyle, he understood it. He gets some workouts in. He trained collegiate, would go win the world in Olympic Games while still having collegiate eligibility. There's a level of conditioning that an athlete who is prepared for seven minutes, who has to get up off the bottom, and who has a stalling rule, There's a level of conditioning that that athlete is going to bring that can't be matched. And Adam Kuhn showed that same thing. Adam Kuhn was not a masterful Greco-Roman wrestler. He had not spent a ton of time. He had a very good understanding. He had done it his whole life, came up through the cadets, came through the juniors, went through the universities but he had this seven minute pace within him that nobody else could match. And it took him all the way to the podium of his first ever world championships. And He was only 23 years old. I bring that to you because Spencer Lee is going to bring that same thing. And while I could be glossing over, right, maybe I'm a little light on my terms of an understanding. Spencer Lee's got three world championships in freestyle. Got a pretty goddamn good understanding. And he has the conditioning behind him, which only comes from a collegiate season. It's tough, man. It's very tough. If, if, you, if you're going to handicap these things and you're looking at that weight class, it's very tough at a minimum to not say Lee is the favorite. Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. As reported to you in all fairness by yours truly, right? wasn't some kind of insider knowledge. Jake Paul got a hold of me and said, put this out. I'm fighting Ben Askren. But then it got delayed. And now it's reported it's officially signed, officially announced. So I can't talk about Paul without giving him his due. I mean, I got to give him credit. Everywhere I turn, I have to give him credit. Even when he came into the sport as this is something I want to do. And yes, it's a cash grab and uh, all these things. But he was very upfront. He found a way to do it. Found a way to make himself a main event of a sport sport that he had never done before. Oh, by the way, selling out completely and competing with the same numbers that Canelo and Triple G were doing. I mean, he found a way. And one thing we do know about Paul from his very last fight is he's working on fighting. He is showing up in shape and he is showing up with the mindset and he is trying to win. You can discuss his opponent. I I understand these things. I, I saw it too. I'm just sharing with you. He deserves a level of credit here for making things interesting. And now he's stepping in with a real athlete. That's a real athlete. Ben Askren is a guy who knows how to win. When the lights are on and people are watching, right? What's the difference when when we're having fun or when we're competing? Well, if we're keeping score, things just changed. Askren knows how when you're keeping score to make that change and get his hand raised, that's a real fight against a real fighter. You could go back to the Olympic days. You could go back to the NCAA days, to the Hodge Trophy days. You could fast forward to the Bellator champion days or the 1FC champion days. That's a real fight with a real fighter. And Paul had his choice of guys, and he chose to take on a two-time national champion, a United States Olympian, and a two-time, at two different weight classes, world mixed martial arts champion. That happened. And there seems to be something very funny going around with some people that don't know fighting, which represents most of the people, and that's okay. When I say that, I don't mean to be, like, looking down from you for my lurch. I have a very rare knowledge of a very rare thing. That's a weird thing. To know about fighting an unarmed car, that's a weird thing. I dedicated my life to a weird thing. But when you hear other people's opinions, that's just when you get reminded that nobody knows a damn thing about fighting. To act as though you saw a shadow boxing clip of Ben Askren, and then you saw Jake Paul knock out a dude from the NBA, and therefore Paul is gonna beat Askren. I mean, it, it's really weird, but it drives a really weird industry. I mean, boxing and unarmed combat as a whole, that's a very bizarre industry. Think about it from an industry standard, right? Because you have to back it up to the grassroots. Somebody opened a gym. So imagine that business model somewhere you've got to rent space and you got to come up with money and you got to line this thing out. you got to pay your bills every month. you got to staff it in, in some fashion. you got to have some hot water for a shower. You got, I mean, there's some expense that comes along with it. And what you're going to do is you're going to get parents to bring their kids and pay you to get their kid punched and kicked in the face. I mean, it's a very, from an industry standard, it's very bizarre, I love it and you guys love it, but let's just admit we're in something very bizarre. And it does remind me of the Kimbo Slice days. Kimbo Slice had the look, he had the mystique, he had the backstory, and he legit had power. Like if he never went into a gym one single day, but he got in a fight and he connected, it's not going to be great for the person he connects with. He just was born with this natural power. But if you put him in there, even with just an okay, uh, Seth Petrozelli, uh, uh, no disrespect. He was, he was an okay fighter from down a weight class who gave up 60 pounds on 24 hours notice. He was an okay fighter who threw an okay jab and knocked Kimbo out cold. I mean, it's one of those things where no matter how tough the guy is, if he's not trained, right? I mean, it's one of these things, you look at the Paul fight with the the basketball player. Paul looked really good in that fight, comma, for a guy who hadn't done a lot of this, taking on a guy who had never done this. It's not Paul looked really good in that fight, period. It's Paul looked really good in that fight, comma, for a guy who, had right, it's it's one of these deals, and I really respect Paul and the fact that he's taken a real fight, and we were having a completely different conversation if, anyway, come hook or crook, he gets the jump on Ben Askren. If Paul got the jump on any NCAA champion, I I don't, any sport, I would personally be impressed, but from a combat sport, I mean, you're talking about a whole nother ruggedness. You're talking about a whole nother level of toughness. You're talking about a whole nother level of conditioning. You're talking about a whole nother level of calmness. You're talking about a whole nother level of guy who knows how to prepare. And not to mention, Paul gave him full uh, fair warning. I mean, all of these things, I respect Paul. I know a lot of you guys hate him. I know he drives a lot of you guys crazy. But the mere fact, he didn't put this fight February 10th. He didn't put this fight February 15th. So Askren has no time to prepare coming off of a hip surgery. He put it two months out. He put it April 17th. That's fair warning. That's normal, fair warning warning i mean any advantage or any jump that he could he did nothing underhanded i just think that you you need to consider that when you're talking about paul can beat Ask. you're talking a level of silliness but just hold the thought enjoy the sport right i don't want to ruin it for you i don't want to ruin the ending for you cling cling to that rough idea that you have that you saw him knock out a guy from the nba a fight that I watched and a name that I can't produce. I just know the guy did like a slam dunk contest in the NBA. Compare that to a guy that's got a 20 and two record in combat over two different weight classes and three different organizations. Okay, save the thought. One thing that I also like about Paul is he's an entertainer, came from the world of YouTube, but he's an entertainer. And every actor wants to be an athlete. Every athlete wants to be an actor. There's no way around that. And the athletes can't just make that happen. But the actor in large part, can. Now, the actor will seek out a director, he will see- seek out financiers, and he will seek out a script specifically to allow him to live his athletic dream, even if it's fake. I'm trying to think of this guy. He was in City Slickers, and his name is Billy. Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal was a very big deal in Hollywood for a period of time, but wanted to be a baseball player. All act- Every actor wants to be an athlete, and every athlete wants to be an actor. I can't tell you how true that statement is, but Billy Crystal wanted to be a baseball guy. He just didn't have any skill for baseball. So he went out and he found people to put up millions of dollars and put him in the lead role of a baseball movie. So he got to wear the jersey, he got to hold the bat, even if the whole thing was fake, but you will see things like this. And I could go down the list of every every boxing movie ever made was made by somebody who wanted to be a boxer and he couldn't do it so he went and pretended to do it on TV to fill that void. I'm sharing with you that in Paul's scenario where he is an entertainer, I don't know if I can go as far as to call him an actor, he wasn't on the big screen in these things, but it, largely the same thing and largely he could make a living just. Just fine, but it wasn't his dream. But he's not going out and making a movie with a written-in script, with a stunt double to fill in and do all of the hard work. He's taking himself to the ring and he's doing it. I only tell you that because you can be as annoyed annoyed at Paul as you want, and as resistant of the fact that he's getting to live this dream. You can do all those things that you want, but no promoter called him and called Ben Askren and worked this out. Paul did this. Paul chose an opponent. I submit for you. He made a a great mistake in who he chose, but he's going to walk out there and do it anyway. And he's going to prepare for it anyway. And he expects to win. And if he shoves this up my ass and it turns out I'm one of these guys that knows nothing about fighting, that's what it will be. This will be a wake up call for the ages that I will never deny or resist or attempt to put a bow on. Jake Paul can beat Askren and anything. I will never attempt. I will say, well, I guess I'm just I I, I guess I'm not. I'm not an elite analyst. I don't have an elite skill. That is is how silly this matchup is, but Paul asked for it. And that shows bravery and it shows courage. And the days of him being a weird uh, internet sensation are gone. Paul's in the club now, or he will be on April 17th. Guys, we have the goat talk all the time. We have the pound for pound talk all the time. Max Holloway came out and he was talking about who is the most exciting fighter of all time. Not the greatest. Who is the most exciting? A question I have never been asked. A question I have never spent a second pondering. And I I suspect you guys haven't as well. I'd love love to get your take on this, but don't just give me a name. You got to and why. And why is important. So, all right. I want to play along. I want to play along with Max. Who is the most exciting fighter of today? Who is the most exciting fighter ever? Just like the goat talk, how are you going to define it? I mean, how are we going to, define right? Because there's some entertainers. Like if you were to take Adesanya, who is who Max said is the most exciting fighter. Max said it's Adesanya. But if you were to take Adesanya, you're going to get three pieces of entertainment. The walk to the ring is going to be fun. The performance is going to be fun. And his walk out of the ring, complete with post-fights, he's going to hit them all out of the park. So if you're giving equal weight, right, to I sit down on my couch, I push a buy button and who gives me the most value for my money is if that's what we're deciding entertainment as or excitement, as, excitement, entertaining, maybe I'm, I'm conflicting it. it. But if that's how we're defining it, I think that Max got it, right? Nobody else entertains on the way to the ring, in the ring and on the way out. He's the only guy. Bellator's got a guy named MVP. MVP and Adesanya are the only guys that every second that red light is flashing on the camera, they are performing. Hard to compete with those two. It's very hard. Conor McGregor has a commodity that is beyond the punches and the kicks. So Conor, if that's how it gets thrown in there, and if we're looking at just in-ring action, just once the referee says go to the referee says stop, I'll tell you who is exciting for me. Guys, remember 19-year-old Vitor Belfort? Vitor Belfort busted on the scene and and it had a large part to do with with when he busted on because he was a black belt in jujitsu. In fact, he wasn't under the name of Belfort at that time. He was fighting as Vitor Gracie. And then they started calling him Vitor Belfort Gracie. And then eventually he dropped uh, the Gracie. But he was largely representing that family. And I bring that to you because, what's that going to tell you? Knowing nothing and judging a book by his cover and looking at his resume. Oh, his last name's Gracie. Oh, he wants to take this to the ground. And Vitor was knocking people out on his feet lightning fast and he was the one that introduced the march step the march step is quite literal right when you're out boxing or even in wrestling or even MMA, one leg leads and one leg doesn't and you will learn that on day one and that will be your career for the next 20 years you will never if you're a southpaw and you right leg leads there is never a time in the sport where your left leg would lead you will learn that on day one the coach will tell you that yeah that will never change And Vitor invented the march step where he would start with a cross instead of a jab and then he would change feet. So now his jab hand just became the cross, and he'd hit you with that while changing feet. So now again, there's no jab hand. He would only hit you with crosses, even though he was hitting with you with both hands. It had never been done before. It's called the march step. He created it. He introduced it. He's one of them for me, the most exciting guy ever. I would have Vitor on that list somewhere. And then you started to get the the, the weird ones, the guys that were out there doing weird things techniques that you had never seen before. BJ Penn would be on the cusp of that. BJ Penn would be on the cusp of using this weird, unorthodox flexibility. Max, in all fairness, just because of his volume and output and willingness to go two different weight classes against anybody. I mean, Max, Max is on my list somewhere. I imagine he was being a little bit humble and didn't want to include himself on his own list, but it's a very interesting question, not just for today, but of all time. We have been falsely told over time that people want to see two guys stand and bang we have been told that but the greatest selling fighters of all time started with the greatest sell george saint-pierre that's not what he did so we were all told that this is what you have to do but that's not what the leader did or if you even want to bring brock lesnar in and i understand why brock is different but if you want to bring ronda rousey in whose numbers were greatly embellished but still very good none of those three stood and bang. but we were told and we're still told that to this day. You guys say it as the fans and the consumer and the buyer. I want to see two guys stand and bang. But the top three draws ever didn't do that. I only bring to you, there's, there's a different dialogue. There's a different narrative. There's different things to look at with an MMA. You don't have to do the dumb, dumb approach of two guys that are just throwing lefts and right hands at each other, right? It, it takes no skill to watch or to understand boxing, a sport that I love. I'm not insulting boxing right now. It ta- That takes no skill. There's two hands and there's only four punches that are legal. You got a jab, a cross, a hook, and an upper. There's no other move in box. You can understand it very simply. And it would be very interesting. And by the way, if we're on the topic of BJ Penn, let's talk a little BJ Penn. I will tell you this guy that is going around the internet that we have seen as of late of BJ, that's not the guy I know. I'll tell you straight up, the BJ Penn that I know is one of the nicest guys in MMA. And whatever's going on, I'll steal a word from Dana. I'll steal a word from Dana, but it's the right word. BJ Penn was in the UFC. He was on a real losing streak. I want to say he had lost seven in a row. And he went from the champion in a main eventer to he's jerking the curtain, but he's still involved. And he was pretty open to say, just keep me involved. Get a little off course here, but this keeps me straight. Keep me involved. Dana said, all right, you got it. So the last time that we saw BJ, he got heel hooked, tapped out by Ryan Hall, and then this video emerges and it's BJ in a street fight with just some local guy and the guy knocks him out. And there was like a press conference the next day. Some card was coming up, but Dana's in front of the media and of course that question gets asked, what are you going to do with BJ? Did you see this and what do you think? And Dana simply used one word, but it's the right word. Dana said the video that I saw was sad. And even in wake of what is going on with BJ right now in this new video that's going around and it was a DUI and that's not the first one and then there, there, there was obscenities and there was slurs in there. Sad is the right word. But I will share with you on a different note, that's not the guy I know. I have never met a drunk BJ Penn. I've never met an aggressive BJ Penn. I've never met a rude BJ Penn. I've met a very nice guy, not only to me, but to others. I have never seen any of this. And it sounds as though that the reports are true, that there's outside influences, largely alcohol, outside influences that are changing the BJ that I'm telling you I know. So, He's gonna be knee deep in red tape. However that goes, whatever those consequences are. If there's any room for you to reserve judgment, he sobers up, quits drinking, and give him another chance. I wish you would keep that open. I've known him from back when. I knew him from before he was the champion. I can tell you from the time he wasn't the champion to he was the champion, he's always been steady, nice, treated people well. Not give him a pass. I get it. He's gonna be he's knee deep in some red tape. He's gonna have to deal with it. It's sad. Oh, so here's an odd couple that uh, got back together for you. Michael Bisping and George Saint-Pierre. Saint-Pierre went on Bisping's show and was a guest, which I thought was great. I'm glad that those guys buried the hatchet on a side note, but they did talk Khabib. And George said some things that were extremely interesting. First and foremost was... That fight cannot take place at 155. I am 39 years old, and I am simply not going to make that. Now, I will tell you the truth. When I woke up this morning, I weigh 183 pounds. I believe that Khabib wakes up and weighs about the same thing, if not more. So I'm not looking for an advantage here. But we can't do the fight at 155 lightweight. We're going to have to do it somewhere else. Now, the reason that was interesting, I got no problem with that. Fine, you guys want to do a catchweight? Whatever. I don't know how much Dana loves that idea. I I don't know how much Dana wants Khabib back, or he wants Khabib in the championship rollback. I don't know. I don't actually know. Dana sees numbers from around the world and has to take more things in perspective. I share that with you because that is a totally different tune than George has been singing. George from day one was extremely specific on three things. Must be at 155, must be for the championship, and must be Khabib. He's now removed 155. The championship, of course, doesn't exist, but he is stuck on Khabib. And it's very hard to let things go, right? As I had alluded a moment ago, I don't know how interested Dana is in Khabib, hard stop, or specifically Khabib in championship. But if you're looking to do a super fight that has absolutely no consequence, you would do a catchweight. It would be one night. It would not affect the rankings. It would not affect the ratings. You would admit full well ahead of time. Here's what this is about. The The two greatest, the greatest lightweight of all time and the greatest welterweight of all time have decided to see who the greatest fighter of all time is, right? I mean, that real easy, real, real easy sell on that one. We're all in. I don't know that Dana would be. I don't know. I don't know. Dana gets very locked on certain beliefs, and one of them is divisions and purpose. Why are we here? And if it's not about a championship and or pursuing a championship, we're not doing it in my octagon. I mean, he's very locked on that. So this would be a very nuance. But boy, that would be intriguing. Now, Dana isn't actually being presented with this. He doesn't have both guys. George has said his piece, but he said it to Bisping. He didn't say it to Dana. Khabib has not responded in any fashion other than to say, I'm done and I don't fight anymore. But it is very interesting. If Dana was presented this, George went to him and Khabib went to him. Here's Here's what we want to do. Here's the weight we want to do it. We'll do it for all five rounds. We'll do it in a main event. We both get up and walk away when we're done. One of us's legacy is tarnished forever. That is what's on the line here. Forget about the belt. One of, both of us who get to live this wonderful life and be perceived by half the world as the great, and the other half of the world thinks I'm the great. We're gonna we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna put it on the line, and that's one thing that has to happen in fighting. You have to be putting it on the line. There has to be something about this conflict, conflict resolution, but what it means to you what you were willing to risk and give up. You will give it up because he's going to take it from you and the world's going to watch. I mean, that is one of the compelling pieces to, to to this sport that many of you may not recognize that you like. You may not have ever identified that. It's very interesting. That'd be very hard to turn away from. And it's also very interesting that of the three things that George St. Pierre, very specifically, and George was in the driver's seat here. George is saying, I will do it if these three things are done. And Khabib was saying, oh my God, please do it. This is incredible. G- greatest news I've ever heard. Khabib was was very welcome, opening to that. Yes, George, come down, come down, come down. It was one of these things, and then Khabib is gone. It doesn't sound as though Khabib wants to fight for any, there's not a person, there's not a money amount, there's not a title. It sounds as though Khabib is, is just done. But, and I'm speaking to the what if right? And every promoter has to think like that. What if, what if Conor McGregor knocks out Floyd Mayweather and I got him under contract for six more fights, right? right. What if you have to operate under that? Same thing that Vince McMahon did when he released Brock to come to the UFC. I am presenting Brock to the world as a legit badass, but if that actually gets tested and it turns out he's not a badass, I've still got to pay him out on his contract with his worth millions. But what if Brock actually is? What if Brock goes over and wins the championship and I've it? Him under contract for three more years. That's what a promoter will always ask himself. What if promoter will always look, but promoters are very optimistic. It's always glass, glass half fall. What if that piece of the element is not on the table for Dana? Dana does not have Khabib for four more fights. He does not have George for four more fights. It is very obvious that even if Khabib comes back It's it's a one-off And it's more than obvious that if George comes back It's what you got them both for one night Do you want do you want it or not? And Dana's not presented with this yet He's not presented with it because George said this to Bisping Or because I'm recapping it for you He's presented it once George calls him And once Khabib calls him and says what do you want to do? What would he do? I would love it I think I speak for all of us I don't give a damn if there's a belt on the line I give a damn at all If you're willing to put the rest of your days on this earth How you walk around with your chest out and your head up, you're willing to put that on the line. Can't think of anything more meaningful than the prestige of two world champions who will be in the hall of fame, who are filthy rich and are gonna do this purely for the sake of I beat you or you beat me. Dustin Poirier said one of the things that happened in his fight with Conor is he wasn't feeling the allure of Conor. He was just fighting another man. And I imagine you could look at that and without a crowd, by example, without the Irish flying in and waving the flags and chanting Conor's name and booing you and all of the things that that Dustin had to go through in the first time, I would imagine where you you could see that there's a level of truth to that. But I'm calling BS. You guys ever read a business book in your whole life by a guy who... rags to riches who went on and he's worth millions of dollars and he runs a company. But okay, you, you just read fiction. No matter how much that guy would swear on a stack of Bibles, this is exactly how it happens. Every successful business guy that goes and writes a book, rewrites history, and it always comes into something of everybody was saying I couldn't do it, but I knew if, which is all a lie. None of those things happened and the guy knew nothing. Now sure he took some risk and sure he went for it and sure he deserves a pat on the back and sure he put himself in a situation, he knew nothing. No business book ever written by the guy that did it and he talks about I knew and I believed and I had this, It's that's all rewritten. And as I look at Dustin saying he he was fighting a lure, I think he's rewriting history. And by the way, before you th- chill, how dare you pick on Dustin Porter? Dustin can take it, okay? Dustin has just proved that he's the baddest dude in the world. Oh, by the way, at the hardest weight class in the world. Six billion men out there, Dustin can beat them all, apparently. He can take a little bit of this, but I'm calling BS. I mean, look, Dustin kissed Conor's ass all week. He didn't stand up to Conor one damn time. He didn't stand up to him in a press conference. He didn't stand When Conor gets on his knees about it, Dustin gets on his knees. Conor says something nice to Dustin. Dustin says something nice back. Conor led this dance. Conor big brothered Dustin the whole time to the fact that when they were in the ring, Conor starts talking to him and Dustin for the first time in his career talks back. Connor controlled everything in this fight. And it's a very nice thing to say and it's a very real thing. From the world of amateur wrestling, that's called reading a bracket. Your coaches will tell you, don't read the bracket. And they will update the bracket all day long through a tournament. Everybody and everybody's dad runs over and runs and tries to see who they have next. But the bigger question that the good coach in the room will say, what's the difference? If it's a guy you think you're better than, do you plan to wrestle less hard? If it's a guy that you think you're going to have problems with, do you plan to try more? What? What's the difference? Don't read the bracket. Warm up the same, bring your skills, take your t-shirt off, pull your straps up, and go as hard as you can during the time limit in a sport that has a score differential. Meaning try to have more points than he does before time runs out. Same way every game on earth is played. More points than the other guy when time runs out. So it's a very good mindset for an athlete. It's a very rare mindset, as simple as it sounds. Who you're facing always affects you, whether you want it to or not. The skills and the tools that he brings could affect your strategy. So there is a reason to know who you're going to go and face. There is a planning and a preparation. There is some very logical reasons, but for Dustin to say that he didn't feel the allure, that's rewrite. He sure as hell felt it at the press conference when he's handing him a thing of barbecue sauce. He sure felt it on social media when he was taking a half a million dollar check to his charity he sure felt it in the ring when he was backing up as connor's coming at him and he's stopping to return verbal warfare i don't know if i'm buying it i mean and i bring this to you by the way in a positive spirit of dustin poirier because here's why guys there is adjustments that connor can make and there is adjustments that for sure he will make if they rematch Connor has proven that before. He proved that in the Nate Diaz fight. And there is a realness to what Connor is saying of inactivity biting him in the ass. The other side of that coin is that was not a perfect fight by Dustin. There was ground and pound opportunities off of a takedown that was never meant to actually get Connor down, but it did. That nothing, there was no pass, there was no submission attempt, there was no ground and pound. I mean, I'm only offering you for an example. Dustin did not fight the perfect fight. And if you want to go and look at their rematch, which is likely going to happen, I believe it's down to two. Is it Dustin versus Connor? Or is it Dustin versus Nate? That rematch trilogy that's very likely to happen, you're not wrong to believe you're going to see a better and more prepared Connor. McGregor you're not wrong but you would be missing in spite of Dustin saying everything went well and I was not fighting I was just fighting this guy in front of me in spite of all of those words he wasn't he wasn't it's a rewriting of history just like the business books but he just might be next time now that he knows that he can do this now that he not a confidence not my training's been going well those are all re-re now that he knows for sure I can beat this guy I don't have to let him bully me I don't have to let him lead a press conference I don't have to let him lead anything I Walked out second. He was in the cage waiting for me. That is the promotion and the industry tipping of the hat of who the better guy is, in their opinion. Best guy closes the night. That was Poirier. And Poirier is going to go into that third fight a lot better than he came into this one. As well as he thinks he performed, and he did, I'm just sharing with you, there is takeaways for Dustin as well. It was not a perfect fight for Dustin either. Major improvements from the first one to the second one by Dustin. I think you'd be very naive to not believe that he's, Dustin, is going to make very big improvements from the second one to the third one. Connor might as well. But don't miss that side of the story or it's going to be as though you missed the fight. Coach Farras was speaking on his YouTube page, uh, weighing in and giving his assessment of Connor versus Poirier. And he just said, look, Connor gave up. He got tired and he gave up. And that is a very common theme that is out there. And I'm a very big defender of Connor getting tired and quitting. However, to walk into a five-round main event against a guy that had a world championship belt around his waist when you've been out of the ring all but 40 seconds in the last 1,000 days is a daunting task. I'm still not of the mind that Connor wasn't in great shape. I'm, I'm just not there. But the shape and condition that you see on TV in relation to the grit and the heart and the toughness are very closely tied. Everybody that you saw fight Saturday got tired. Everybody got very tired. Dustin Poirier was very tired. Everybody got Hooker and Chandler, which was a relatively fast fight. They were both tired. Now just share that with you. If you ever see an athlete and he comes out of a sporting event and he's not exhausted, he did not do his job. And at this level particularly on an ESPN pay-per-view, they're all out there doing their job. They are going to feel like they were hit by a bus when it's over win or lose. So I'm a little light on the idea that Conor wasn't in shape. There is a part of the grit and toughness and how bad do I want them. Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather are the only two examples that have ever disproven the theory that a rich man can't fight. When a man is rich and doesn't need to be out there he doesn't go out there and even when he does he doesn't stay out there and dig deep it's just one of these things right it's just one of these things and I and I offer for you that you did not see an out of shape Conor McGregor but when you find yourself in combat and the match turns out to be harder than you thought the match was going to be things will unravel very very fast any form of combat, when you find yourself in an environment that is harder than you thought it was going to be, and don't forget, Connor had a very good level of assessment to know how hard this was going to be, because he already fought this guy. He had a very good idea somewhere within him of what this was going to be from a logical standpoint. Turned out he was wrong. But I don't believe that this is a, an issue of Connor didn't run enough or spar enough or sprint enough. I do believe in the inactivity, uh, because now you, you've got a pie. You've got all sorts of pieces and percentages of the pie, and sure, timing's going to be part of it, and power is going to be part of it and used to being in there is all going to be part of it. Sure, I understand that. There is only one thing that will give you confidence leading into a fight. It has nothing to do with your opponent, his skills, or yourself and your skills. There is only one thing you will derive confidence from that is conditioning. You will ask yourself one question before you leave that locker room to make that walk. Am I in shape? And moreover, do I have reason to believe I'm in better shape than him? When the end of the night comes, am I going to be here and be more present than he is? Not, is this going to be stopped in the first? Am I going to be caught in a Marbar? Am I going to be knocked out? In a worst case scenario, the end of the night comes, which in this case was 25 minutes, can I still be here? And if you would all believe the answer is no, because either you know deep down you didn't pay the price or you believe deep down you did pay a price, but he just paid a bigger one, you do, you leave that locker room very, very unconfident. So between those two things, what unraveled Connor faster? I, I don't know. I do not think that Coach Farras was wrong at all in his assessment. Connor was very much looking for a- way out. He was trying to get out of that match. But there's not a dishonor in that like it sounds. It's called taking inventory. If Connor is in the very first round, has already been taken down, already has his heart rate up, already is realizing my timing is off because of my inactivity. Oh, and by the way, I can't feel my leg. Connor is then going to take inventory, meaning I'm five minutes in, I'm already hurting, and I'm already losing. There's 20 minutes left. What's the point? How tired am I going to be in, the, in those? Tw- How hurt? I'm already hurt. How hurt am I going to be times four? I got to get out of here. It's 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 one of those things. It's it's fight or flight. And it does not make a coward or the fact that it's identical. This is just human nature. There's nothing you can do to get around that. Muhammad Ali could not get around that. Mike Tyson, who's openly spoke about it, could not get around that. George St. Pierre, who's openly spoke These guys, you can't get around it. So, uh, Connor can't get around it. And I don't know that it was a conditioning purely from the standpoint of he showed up and he wasn't in shape. I'm not buying that. He looked like a million bucks. There's a reason he weighed 155 pounds. That's a byproduct of very hard work and discipline. There's a reason that he's lean. It looks like he's carved out of stone because he's in really good shape. But that shape doesn't work without the grit, without the toughness, without the desire, without the need. And those are things that a rich man often doesn't have in this environment. I submit for you based on the changes Connor made in Nate Diaz part one versus Nate Diaz part two that Connor will dig deep and have more grit but you'll mistake it for conditioning even if Dustin beats him the next time but it takes Dustin 18 minutes instead of seven you will have to then concede there was more grit there was but that will get labeled as conditioning I'm only sharing with you you're mislabeling that how hard a guy can go for how long he can go is not the measure of conditioning a guy will be tired three minutes in he will hang in there all 15 if that's what it's scheduled for, if he wants it bad enough. So you start to have these balances of who wants it more, who needs it more, who's willing to stay in the fire longer. Then you have the pieces of whose left hand got through, whose body shot, who in this case, leg kicks, who got the takedown. That Those things, those are seven, eight, nine on the list. All well behind who wants it the most. All right, guys, that was a long one, but we had a lot to talk about. And by the way, we're going to have a lot to talk about when we meet back here on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. From the team that brought you the big podcast with Shaq, it's the Big Shot Bob Pod. With the biggest shooter in NBA history, Robert Ori. It's three. Oh, oh off the charts. The Big Shot Bob Pod. Yeah, of course we're talking about hoops. Charles Oakley. We played him in the finals We lose was the Rockets, and I dunked on Oak, and I kind of flexed him like, ah! Oh. And, uh, and Oak didn't do anything. I went down the court like this. <laughs> I, just, I, <laughs> Ooh, I just missed man. a punch to the jaw there, boy. <laughs> Subscribe now and get new episodes of the Big Shot Bob Pod every week on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, LiveByLive.com, and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.